Thanks, guys. Um, for those of you who don't know, this woman standing here, this is my wife, Brenda. And I'd like to publicly apologize to her for using her as the expression, my wife. Uh, I'd also like to thank her uh, because what you have in front of you, she's paid a lot of the price for. You know, the, the hours that I spend anally on the computer and, and that work I do, 12-step work and all that stuff, it's a gift from God. But you also have to remember that there's people that you impact in your life. And uh, she, a lot of times, is left holding the bag at home and holding down the fort. And uh, I really appreciate that. I wanted to publicly acknowledge her for that. Thanks. There's, there's another thing I wanted to comment on. She is a black belt in Al-Anon. Uh, I, can't, I can't comment enough about Al-Anon. For the first 13 years, there was one program. There was no AA in Al-Anon. It was one program. It was a family program. If you showed up at an AA meeting without your family, Dr. Bob would look at you and say, where's your family? Well, they're at home. He'd say, well, you bring them next week or I'll go get them myself. One program. If you're going to be an effective sponsor, you're going to need Al-Anon. Somebody was talking to me, came up to me, and he said, you know, uh, he said, there's, there's something going on here. I'm, I'm feeling this feeling. And he says, you know, I hate to admit it, but the only place I've felt that feeling recently is I went to Al-Anon. And I said, so cool. That's great. Fantastic. He says, yeah, you know, he was, I went to an Al-Anon meeting, and some guy looked at me, and he talked about guilt and shame. And he says, it was like, like cutting through me like a knife. And he says, I don't hear that in AA meetings. What a shame that we don't talk about the real root of the cause. There's A's, there's Al-Anon. Just because you're one of us and you're part of the fellowship, you qualify. But have some respect. Don't walk into an Al-Anon meeting and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. I know the 12 steps. There are steps. You know, that kind of deal. It happens all the time. I recommend it to everybody that I work with. And every one of them looks at me like, you want me to do what? But when they come back, you know, they're, what, a, what a blessing. What a blessing. They, they thank me for it. And they say, wow. You know, and then when you're going on a 12-step call and the guy turns out he doesn't really want it, he just called to get her off his back, guess what? The big book says you've got to carry the message to her if she's willing. And if you don't have any Al-Anon contacts, you've never been to a meeting, you don't know where to point them, you don't know how to, you're not an effective 12-stepper. You don't have the ability to carry the message the way we're supposed to carry it. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mark. He's got some stories for you. Mark, alcoholic. Mark. We read... Uh Got two, three little stories here. Read a couple things. This is from a book called <laughs> Who Cares? <laughs> I love you can tell where I've been taken to, right? Uh, it says uh, The Unique Teaching of uh, Ramsha Belsakar. Um, he says, I, I love what the man he presents, and he says in this book, there's only concepts. And uh, he tells the story of you'll use a thorn to get a thorn out of your foot, and at some point in time, got to throw all the thorns away. So in his teachings, he always just says, well, this is my concept. Do with it as you will. But, uh, so he says, seeking happens. You didn't start the seeking. Your head is already in the tiger's mouth. You didn't put it there. The seeking has begun because it was God's will or the will of the source. That seeking should happen through a body-mind organism. And how that seeking progresses is obviously not in your hands. It's in the hands of the power that started the seeking. So leave God's business to God. You are quite correct in saying that at the early stages, at least, the paradox is that for the ego to disappear, it must first come to understand itself. Think of the fourth and fifth step. 
The mind intellect must necessarily be used in the early stages to try and understand the what is God. Then the intellect comes to realize its own limitations, and with this surrender, intellect eventually becomes merged into intuition. A um, couple stories. Uh, story of uh, Lao Tzu and his disciple. A disciple, his face shining with the glory of achievement, came to Lao Tzu saying, Master, I have got it. Lao Tzu placed his hands on the disciple and said, My son, you have not got it. So the disciple went away dejected, but completely accepting what the master had told him. Time passed, and eventually the disciple returned and fell at the master's feet. Master, it has happened. So Lao Tzu raised him up and asked him what had happened. The disciple replied, You told me that I had not got it, and I accepted it as the total truth. I had not the slightest doubt in what you said. But I also had no doubt at all that I had done everything I could possibly do. So I began to just let life happen without any more wanting enlightenment and without wanting to do something about being enlightened. Then there was a sudden, spontaneous appreciation in the heart that it had happened. There was no me left wanting enlightenment, wanting anything. See, here's the paradox. If, if I ask you, do you want enlightenment, if you tell me, yes, the problem is when you become enlightened, the part of you that wanted it won't be around to witness it. <laughs> Here's another story. Story of a Zen master. He grew up living with and listening to his venerable grandfather, who was also a Zen master. When he was very young, he heard his grandfather often say, whatever is to happen will happen. Everything has a destined life. One day, this boy, hurrying from here to there, knocked over a very valuable and favorite vase belonging to his grandfather. The vase broke. So he went to his grandfather and said, You know that vase you like so much? Yes, the old gentleman replied. Well, its life ended three minutes ago. <laughs> and one last quote from uh, Meister Eckhart. He was a uh, Jewish mystic. Meister Eckhart put it beautifully. All that the human being can do is wonder and marvel at the magnificence of God's creation. Thousands and thousands of varieties of objects, each with a different programming. In other words, what he says is this. God's creation is a mystery, and all that the human object can do is surrender to the mystery and not try to solve it. Mm. It's an entire weekend just in those stories. But you got to get free of your donkey, if you will, or to even be able to start down that path. Um, when we closed last time, we said that we were going to offer somebody who was over in this corner and needed, wanted to share about the uh, uh, second step proposition. So why don't we uh, do what we have to, have to about that? Hi, I'm Fred. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Fred. Um, this piece that I didn't want to let go um, something I had never really had, and that was uh, my mother. Um, died from the disease, got to watch that happen, but she, uh, as I say, didn't have the mom gene, so emotional abandonment was a big thing. So the thing I never really had was a mom growing up. She was there, but not really there. And I want to let go of that, but I, I, well, I guess the big struggle I faced and looked at today was, uh, how do you let go of something you never had? You know, or something that I, I desperately want, still do. She's dead and gone. She's still sitting right in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's uh, something I've been battling with, and it leads to a lot of the behaviors and stuff that I've had with me over the years. You know, and it's uh, it's a challenge. 
you know, to finally figure out how to let go, hand that over to God and let him deal with it. Powerful stuff. What are you letting go of? It's not mom. You had a mother. She wasn't the mother that you wanted. So you have to get rid of the wanting. That's an attachment that you're attached to. Got to get rid of that first. There is some of the most loving women I know in AA. There is more people. I mean, I was talking to an angel about a half an hour ago, you know, and I called her an angel. And she was like, oh, thank you. For... She has no idea. She touches people's lives. You've, if you've known me, you know I talk about the sparkly eyes. There's certain people, they walk around, their spirit is free, they have sparkly eyes. They will love you to death if you just let them. You are unable to be loved because even if your mother were able to reincarnate, come back with the loving gene and stand right next to you and say, here I am, honey, I want to love you, the door is closed. She can knock and it's not going to open until you open it. That's the danger. There's a wealth of, of spiritual experiences that you've got because there's, it's a, that's a multifaceted problem. It's not just the, that one attachment you've got. There's several different attachments that are there. But now that you've seen them, you at least got a starting off point. As it says, you're at the turning point. What does that mean, to be at a turning point? That's to realize, hey, there's something wrong. And it's like driving down a car and all of a sudden you realize... Here is a semi, and if I continue on this path, the semi is going to squash me like a bug. That realization is 90% of the problem. To be awake enough to go, wow, I'm at a turning point. Now it's time to turn. If you don't turn, guess what? You're on the windshield. But if you do turn, now that you've had the realization, you've got to take some action. You've got to turn the wheel, you know, do the things that are necessary. The problem is you don't get to decide where you're going to end up. You may end up in a ditch, for all you know. That's okay. Problem with alcoholics is we want to know that we're not only going to miss the semi, we're not going to get our car damaged, and we're going to look good doing it. And the date that's sitting along the side of us is going to go, wow, that's the most masterful driving I've ever seen. You saved my life. I wanted to bear your children. <laughs> you know? You see what I'm saying? Okay. <clears throat> Time to transition from step two to step three. All right. Um, what I handed out was the uh, was an exercise, and uh, if you look at the top of it, this comes from ATY stands for Around the Year with Emmett Fox. Um, and Emmett Fox wrote, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." That comes from the Bible, Matthew five three. And then his comment to that is, the, "To be poor in spirit means to have emptied yourself of all desires to exercise personal self will." And what is just as important to have renounced all preconceived opinions in the wholehearted search for God. It means to be willing to set aside your present habits of thought, your present views and prejudices, your present way of life if necessary, to jettison, in fact, anything and everything which can stand in the way of your finding God. Even if that means brushing your teeth with the wrong hand. That's what this whole week and we've been talking about. Lay aside your prejudice. All right? And then... Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to go into the, the, the nuts and bolts of step three, but we said the third step prayer already today. But have we ever really taken a look at what that third step is? It's about, right? We already mentioned the fact that the third step is really just a decision. And the way we affirm the decision is by saying a prayer, all right? The decision is, is that we're going to have a new director, okay? 
That's what it describes in the big book. What does a director do? The director tells the actors where to go. So we're going to let God tell us what, where to go and what to do. All right? He's the principal. We hear his agent. A principal is the thing that empowers the agent. I like to think of it in terms of an insurance company. The insurance agent, he just writes the policies. But when there's an accident, the check gets cut from the real power. That's the, the corporation behind the agent. That's, the agent is only as good as the power that the company holds. All right? So the analogy is God is going to tell us what to do, and he's going to empower us to go out and do what he tells us to do. All right? That's why God has to be everything or nothing. So we're building step by step on top of the exercises that we've been working on. All right? He is the father, and we are his children. Well, what does a father do for his children? He loves them unconditionally. Hopefully, that second step exercise, you've touched on some of the love of God. The fact that you're sober today in this room is a gift. And that's all any of us ever asked for was get me out of the gutter, God. The problem is now that we've got a couple of years of sobriety under our belt, we want more. We want a relationship. We want a job. We want cars. We want soup to nuts. All we were promised was a relationship with God when we came into AA. The byproduct of that relationship is we wouldn't want to drink anymore. Didn't promise us health. Didn't promise us relationships. Nothing. Money. All that stuff is superfluous. It doesn't matter. What really matters is our conscious contact with God because the byproduct of that relationship is we don't want to pick up alcohol anymore. And if we pick up alcohol, we're of use to no one and, and nothing. All right? So the father is unconditional love. A father cares for his children. He supplies what they need. And if they get off track, sometimes he has to correct them, get them back on track, teach them, teach them some lessons of life and how to live life. That's the concept that the big book gives us. And then we say, okay... I've decided that I'm powerless over alcohol. My life is unmanageable. I am, I, my life is, is unmanageable. Whether I drink, it's unmanageable because of craving. If I don't drink, it's unmanageable either because of mental obsession or spiritual malady. Either way, my life is unmanageable. I need power. Takes us to step two. Is there a power? Do we believe there's a power that can restore us to sanity? Yeah. So we say, okay, I want to make this decision. I want to choose this God as we just discussed. He's going to be my, my director. He's going to be my power. And he's going to be a loving father and send me out into the world. So we say this prayer. But what are we saying? What are we truly saying? This exercise is to take a look at that. And we break down into bits and pieces. I break it down into 12 parts, the prayer, the third step prayer. All right. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through and kind of get a vision in our mind of what does it look like? What are we saying? We're saying this prayer, but most of us are that, doing just that. We are saying a prayer. We're not praying a prayer. There's a difference. There's no heart. There's no emotion. And most importantly, there's no commitment. If you really look at what this prayer has to say, there's an unbelievable... It puts into a place a commitment to follow through with four, five, six, seven, all of eight, all of nine... 10 and 11 on a daily basis and constantly working 12, even when it's inconvenient, gets in the way of your golf game, you know, to practice these principles at home, not just in an AA meeting, to be kind and loving towards everybody, even the beggar who stinks, who spits on your windshield and tries to wipe it off with a dirty, oily, greasy rag, you know, it's all connected back to, to the third step prayer, which is connected back to whether we're going to drink and die or not. Real important connection here. You know, you any comments before we jump into the exercise? Yes, I'd like to, because uh, I think it ties in with so much of what a lot of you have talked to me about. I like to, there's about a page here, and I want to read this to show you where all our suffering comes from. All of our suffering. Um, I think it's such a great tie-in to look at prior to this 
third step exercise, if you will, but if you've got your big book, it's on page 60, and I always like to read this in first person, but to show you what you're up against, I think this page is designed to show me one of the questions in this exercise is what is your bondage? And I think this is going to describe to us life based on self-will, and from this, because I've talked to you a lot about different things, I want you to understand where your suffering always comes from. There's a requirement we have to meet before we make this decision. Uh, you have to meet this requirement, otherwise the, you, you will not follow through with the action behind the decision. That's my experience. Mm -hmm. So what is the requirement? Is I have to be convinced that any life run on self-will can already be a success. And now they're going to describe what a life based on self-will looks like. It's a 60 colon 4. Yeah. On that basis... All of us living our life on self-will. I am almost always, always <laughs> in collision with some or somebody, even though my motives are good. I try to live by self-propulsion. I'm like an actor. I want to run the whole show. I'm forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, mom and dad, uh, everyone else in my own way. You could add that where we're talking about the gentleman talking about his mother. You know, I, I, you know, she should have been there, and you know, even even the husband in England. Yeah, if my arrangements would only stay put. See, I, another way I like to think of it is because I like visuals. Is imagine that we're on a stage, and we would be on the stage in this big throne chair, <laughs> and then out there is all of our subjects. Mom and dad and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and kids and employers and friends and AA groups and, and our president. and They're all out there. If our arrangements would only stay put, if only these people would do as we wish, the show would be great. And that's the belief system we have, which leads to great suffering. See, I love this next sentence. It's a very delusional sentence. We think that everybody, including ourselves, would be pleased with us arranging the show. We do. We actually believe that, right? You know, it's a, and, and then we believe that life would be wonderful. And so then it describes, I call it the toolkit of self-will. Kind. Here's what I'll do to get my way. I'll be kind, considerate, patient, generous, modest, self-sacrificing. I'll be me, egotistical, mean, selfish, and dishonest. That's still a toolkit, right? Well, what usually happens? Well, the show didn't come off very well. I begin to think life doesn't treat me right, so the minute it doesn't treat me right, what am I going to do in self-will? I'm going to exert myself more. I'm either going to be demanding or gracious. Still, the play doesn't suit me. See, someone out there, I'm on my stage, right? You move two inches too far. I mean, I don't, I don't care how you look at it, but you see what? That visual has always helped me see this, and, and no wonder I suffered so much. Still, the play doesn't suit me. You know, if my brother would only get sober, you know? Admitting I may be someone at fault, <laughs> I'm sure that other people are much more to blame. See? And then again, when I'm in self-will, there's always a sequence. It starts with I'm angry. I'm angry because my arrangements didn't go the way I wanted. That is always followed by indignant. How dare you? Don't you know who I am? Which ultimately, and this is what I bring to the meetings, is followed by self-pity. And they always go in that order. 
book says, well, that what? okay, what's your basic trouble? Well, are we not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Are we not a victim of this delusion? And this is such an important sentence here. That I'll be satisfied and happy if I only manage well. Go into your own experience. All of us in this room at various times, our ducks have been in a row. And if you're like me, when you were somehow thinking you're involved, it still didn't bring me peace. And it goes on to say, what happens then? Well, do not my actions make people wish to retaliate? So am I not even at my very best a producer confusion rather than harmony? And for the longest time, what I never understood is the reason self-will is designed to lead me into suffering and misery is because that's not how the universe works. The universe works along the line of God's will. See, and I don't have a clue what God's will is for you. You know, that's what I said. People are in my life and they're not in my life, and that's none of my business. You know? Particularly this area of relate. I've talked to so many of you who've relapsed behind relationships. The reason you relapse behind a relationship is you're trying to play God with a relationship. Someone comes to you and they don't want to be in anymore. You only got one response. God bless you. Go in peace. There's only the will of God. That isn't what we do, right? See? Because we want to arrange the show. Right? See, we get our sense of self externally. But uh, I think I always like to read this prior to doing this exercise because this is all of us, isn't it? Right? And, and you know, does it work? How's it working? You know, another book uh, talks about what's the fruit of your life? So you got this tree of self-will. <laughs> you know, what's the fruit? My God. You know, it's not, it's not good. I'm in adversarial positions, and I'm depressed all the time, and this and that and the other. And I think it's important to understand this as you look at this third step decision, because in essence, when we have you do this exercise, what you're really going to do from this point on, and if you follow through with the work is, and I mean this sincerely, your life's no longer your business, but here's the great news. You don't care anymore. Because the who that cares is no longer around. Does that make sense? And you can't imagine what can happen with your life. Where you live and who's in it and where you work. and Just stuff beyond your wildest dreams. Um, and you'll have power to do it. And you'll be at, be at peace doing it. So, You notice the word that they use in that paragraph is delusion? But what do you hear in, in meetings all the time? Denial. I say this every time I do one of these things, and usually I get a reaction from people. Alcoholics do not have denial. They have delusion. Al-Anons have denial. And you may have denial, but it's when you're acting out as an Al-Anon, not as, as the alcoholic. What's the difference? It's an important difference. Delusion is that you believe your own lie. You could, you could pass a lie detector test, literally. You know, this drink is not going to hurt me. No, it's not going to hurt me. And you would pass a lie detector test. It would show that you're not lying. Delusion is, 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 is your, there's a pink elephant in the living room, and because it's so painful to look at the pink elephant, you just pretend like it's not there. It's using the imagination as a self-defense mechanism. There's times when alcoholics have that, but it's not when we're actively in, in our disease. It's when we're in the Al-Anon side of our disease. When we're in danger of drinking, it's because we're in delusion. And we honestly believe that we don't have resentments. We honestly believe that we're on the spiritual beam. You know, that we're doing, but we're not praying and meditating, but we're on the spiritual beam. You know, I haven't finished all my amends, but I'm okay. I'm not going to drink over that because I know what my next drink is going to look like. And we honestly believe that we do that. We know what our next drink is going to look like. You know, same thing. Here's another bit of delusion that's probably going to sting for some people. I turned it over, but then I keep taking it back. <laughs> you turned it over, 
There is no such thing as taking it back. You may have turned it over, but you kept a little hook in it. There's a, there's a, we call them hookbacks. There was a string, and every once in a while you just reel it in. And what do we read? What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. We didn't get the outcome we want, but somebody's looking. So we kind of go, oh, no, no, I've turned that over. It's probably a sponsor that's asking. You know, No, 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 I'm, I'm free of that. I turned it over. But then he decides to exert himself <laughs> a little bit more. That's the taking it back part. If you truly turn it over, you have no vested interest in the outcome. It's done. So what does the prayer look like? All right? Many of us, uh, we're now at step three. It's, uh, many of us said to our maker, as we understand him, God, I offer myself to thee. All right? We've already written an exercise, hopefully, that's changed your perspective of what that word God means for you currently here today. Certainly, by the time you finish writing out all those, on all those comments about the explanation of God in the big book, that, that your, your perception should have changed, shifted a little bit about really what is this God that I'm turning my will and my life over to? All right? To build with me. Well, what does that look like, to build? What's he building? You know, do I get a vote in that? We've, you've heard us talking about this. Do I get a choice as to what this building and the structure is going to look like? Am I the architect? Or is God the architect? You know? Um, and to do with me as thou wilt, as God will. Is my name in that sentence? You know, Relieve me of the bondage of self. Well, you better know what the bondage is. Mark talked about that. What is your bondage? What has got you as a slave? Bondage means slavery against your will. That's the disease of alcoholism. Hopefully what we've done is stolen your grace and shown you that your problems are of your own making. Once you know that, for you to stay in that pile of manure that you're in and not take the actions, you are your own jailer. You've got yourself in bondage. And the only person that can release you is you. All right? So I'm not going to go through all the questions. I don't want to take the time. I want to give us a chance to look at these and write about these. Once again, consideration is your guide. It's that tenth of a second. Once you read it, think about it for a second. What does this truly mean to me? The longest distance in the world is from the head to the heart. Get out of your head. Where does the problem for the alcoholic reside? In our minds, right? We need to take in some consideration, get quiet, meditate, get the hamster off the wheel, stop thinking about, you know, that the, the ham and cheese this afternoon and, you know, that you had for lunch and, you know, how you can't wait for dessert tonight and, or that nap that you're planning on taking and missing the next session and, you know, whatever, whatever that is that's running around in your head. Meditate if you have to. Spend you know, a minute or two meditating and clear your mind and then take a look at these questions and really take a look at what are they saying. And if you don't know what a word means, ask. You know, figure out what, it, what the word means. And, uh, and then you know, we'll, we'll give ourselves a couple minutes to write about this. All right? Any shifts in consciousness while you're going through this? Kind of takes on a new meaning, doesn't it? When you start looking at the nuts and bolts of what this prayer is really about. Let me share with you some of my answers. Uh, and and I, I was writing as fast as you were, and I, and I didn't get through it all. Um, <clears throat> what exactly am I offering? I said, everything. What I want no longer matters. I am God's servant. How do you expect God to build with you? to empower me so I may become more effective, more effective for him. I can't self-will this. I need God's help. I can't be an effective agent for God unless it's God's grace that allows that. 
the thing that I want most in my life is to be a child of God and be an effective servant for Him. And the thing that I want most, I have absolutely no power to make happen. It's got to be His grace to enter into my life, and it's a gift from Him. Um, what do you think God will do with you? Um, make me an effective AA. Um, what does God want with you? Uh, to help his kids come to him. Uh, why were you spared from alcoholism when so many weren't? God's grace. Uh, does God have a plan for you? I hope so. Does, uh, what does his plan for you look like? To help him and be his representative here on earth. What is your bondage, self-will? What exactly does it look like? Any form of emotional disturbance. There is a problem that lies within me. That's what it says right in the 12 and 12, right? Uh, describe what it would look like for you to, to better do the will of God. Um, I would gladly accept and look forward with glee to what I want doesn't matter. Now that's a hard one to swallow. What are your current difficulties? Self, not getting what I want, control. Are you gaining victory over your di- difficulties? Not without God. Uh, if not, why not? Uh, they're God's difficulties. They're not my difficulties. I have to get out of the way so God can solve the difficulties. Uh, My life should be a demonstration of the love of God. Would you help if you could? Yes. To what lengths would you go? What? We read it every meeting, right? Any lengths, right? Um, Are you of help? Yes, when I'm in the Spirit. What does it look like for you to be a real help to others? Eagerly compliant and acceptance. Remember willingness? If I can be in that frame of mind and eagerly compliant to the will of God. I could be subservient to him. Uh, would you need power? Yes, I'm powerless in step one. How much power is available to you? Unlimited if I seek God. What does it look like if you received his power? My life is a demonstration. If no matter what I want in my heart, alcoholics are the best intentioned. But if you can't look at it from the outside and see it, it is not there. And it's, the reverse is also true. The guy's actions are terrible and he's slamming and... and you know, yelling at people and, and acting out, and everybody says, yeah, but he's got a good heart. <laughs> he's demonstrating what he's got. Does that mean the good heart doesn't exist in there? Yeah, there's, there's good in everyone. But it's blocked. Remember the fog analogy? He's blinded by the fog. Uh, do you need God's love? Yes. And that's where I had to stop when I ran out of time. You want to comment? Yeah, a uh, couple things I wrote, and then we'll uh, hear from the rest of you. Uh, what are you offering? I I just put the words all of me. Um, what does it look like to offer yourself to God? Uh, I wrote a course of action, and I have absolutely no attachment to the outcome. Um, doesn't make any difference. How do you expect God to build with you? And there's only one word that came up, which is love. Uh, if it look if it has any look other than love, uh, I doubt if it's God building with me. Uh, what do you think God will do with you? I wrote that I do not have a clue. <laughs> uh, what does God want with you? I would say that is, uh, once again, uh, love. Uh, why were you spared from alcoholism when so many others weren't? I really have no idea. Um, I could, you know, be in of service, but I know alcoholics who died who were of service, so I... My most common response, quite frankly, to most questions anymore is, I don't know. Uh, 
Uh, does God have a plan for you? Well, he has for 55 years, so I, it's probably not going to stop. I don't know where it is. Uh, I'm also careful when I say this stuff because I've said this before. Next thing I know, I was in some state nine states away. So I, <laughs> I don't know what his plan is, but I'm just fine, whatever it is. Well, I like this. What does this plan for you look like? No idea. Uh, what is your bondage? I put uh, nicotine in my thinking mind. I, I distinguish the thinking mind from what I call the working mind. Uh, what does it look like when you're actively in bondage of self? Fear. Deer in the headlights. Uh, <laughs> describe what it would look like for you to better do God's will. Uh, no fear. Complete trust, love in all actions, all times. Uh, current difficulties, uh, spurts of self-will, I call it. Uh, uh, I call it a flip-flop. Self-will, God's will, boom, boom, boom. Stand back, folks. He's spurting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that's that's uh, that's all I had time to write. I'd like to hear from some of you guys and some of what and gals in terms of what you wrote. Who wants to be the first victim? I mean, volunteer. Yeah, let's get him a mic over here on the left. There we go. It wasn't me, it was God, I tell you. It all came out of that now. Yeah. Hi, my name's Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Chris. I, uh... Just when it was describing what bondage looked like, I was uh, trying to just stay here in Dorset where I am this weekend. And uh, I was thinking of just the views around here and, you know, just the mountains and God's work that you talked about earlier. And all I could think of was I'd get up to this beautiful point where I could see everything and I'd put a mirror in front of it and look back at myself and get caught up in myself and not see the message. So that was just the image that came to mind. And then uh, there's a woman I work with that, you know, I've been had the gift of sobriety for a while, and a woman who's not associated with the program at work kind of shared with me a month, a month ago that, you know, that she was in the death spin with alcohol. And, uh, I really, going through this just now, really kind of felt guilty that I, I shared with her, and I know that it's a gift in my life to be sober, and one of the things that hurts me the most is when I don't try to share the gift with other people, and uh, I think I put the brakes on with her because I didn't want to, you know, break my anonymity and say I was an alcoholic, and this just... This step in practice today just uh, really made me rethink that boundary that I created and that, you know, God put this person in my life and she shared with me and I'm probably going to have to do more than I want to do. <laughs> and uh, it scares me because even this weekend I told the people I worked with that I went skiing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I... It's like my AA life is separate from my real life in some ways. I try to practice the steps, but this is really challenging me to kind of work harder in the real world with what I've gotten in here and 
I'll have to, I think, work harder with her. Thanks for sharing that, for having that vulnerability with the group. You know, I don't know where you live, but get some women. There's plenty of women in this room. Have some resources. She's been raising her hand a bunch of times. Yeah. Over, could you get her to the mic? Or the what? No, right here in the front row. Okay. Let's, let's get it. Where's the other mic? Can you send that up to the front row, Glenn? There we go. Nope, it's not on. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we got it. Oh, my sponsor said I had to speak, so. <laughs> I'm Joanne. I'm an alcoholic. And um, it's my experience with this step, um, you know, I did make a decision to turn my will over to do, a, to do a fourth step. And after I did my fourth step and I went back and read this step, I could really see it much more clearly how I did play the director or tried to and just failed. And, um, you know, my story is um, I went through a really horrible divorce and I went through a big custody battle um, over my children. And um, I lost, you know, I lost three years sober and he was active. And um, that's what I needed to do to um, get to my knees and to really do the steps four years sober. And um, once I wrote, I wrote half a notebook about, you know, dealing with the court system and my ex-husband, Don. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, Very begrudgingly said that. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm curious about the forgiveness section of this seminar. Um, but I could definitely see my role and how I knew how everything needed to end up, and I just got angrier and angrier when it didn't work out my way. And um, that's really when I wanted to drink, when I found out I was going to lose the kids. And, you know, today I can say, even though I don't have power, much power over them, I, you know, I, I, they're with me all the time, and um, I was able to work the steps. So, you know, I can see that... Um, you know, I can look at my part a lot better now. But just to answer the questions, um, very similar to what you guys said, you know, what, a, what am I offering, my mind, body, and spirit, everything, all myself, good and bad. Um, what does it look like to offer yourself to God? It looks scary to me. What if he doesn't want it? Submission and fear. Um, how do you expect God to build with you? What does that look like? To build with me, it's a process over time. He's building with me. He's given me a brain and a body to take action. He's empowered me. Somebody said that. What do you think God will do with you? Um, I don't know. What does God want with you to be loving and help other alcoholics? <coughs> to be a good mother, sister, daughter, friend. Not sure of the plan beyond that. What is your bondage self? Thoughts, resentments, fears, wants. I often feel like a victim and preoccupied, not available to my loved ones. I feel irritable and discontent, not getting what I want. That's when I'm in bondage. Describe what it would look like for you to better do God's will. Be less anxious. Go more with the flow. Listen to that inner voice. Be more loving of myself and others. What are your current difficulties? Health issues, loneliness, balance, career. Um, are you going, gaining victory over your difficulties slowly but surely? That's as far as I got. Thank you. Would you turn yours off? In the, uh, she's already got one. There you go. Hello. Yes, you're on. Hi, my name is Cindy and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Cindy. And I feel like I'm hogging the microphone, but I really have to participate in my sobriety today. 
Um, Because the uh, last question, are you attempting to do God's will always, I had to answer honestly and say no to. Um, And that doesn't make me very proud of myself. Um, I am my worst enemy. And... um, Question three, what do you think God will do with you? I wrote good things. And then, what does God want with you? And uh, I wrote, he wants to teach me. He wants to teach me to love me, and he wants to love me. Um, Why were you spared from alcoholism when so many others aren't? Um, I came from a neighborhood where... uh, if you're not a product of, of your environment, you're extremely, extremely blessed. Um, and my answer to that was, was because he believes in me. Um, and, uh, and if only I could believe in me the way that God believes in me. Um, does God have a plan for you? I wrote, yes, to be a better me and to help enhance the quality of this thing he created called the universe. Um, I think I participate more in the destruction of that. (laughs) Um, And then also, what exactly does it look like when you are actively in bondage of self? And I envision myself putting on a straitjacket and restricting myself from being free. That's what came to mind immediately. Um, and this is awesome for me. I just want to thank you both and, and everyone who participates in this because I'm a worker. I call my sponsor up and I literally go, like, give me something to do because I'm losing my mind, you know, and she'll give me little things to do. Um, so this is really great for me. But there was one more thing. Um, and now I can't find it. Oh, uh, what is God's way of life? And I wrote a spiritual giving kind one. And um, and do you need do you need God's love in your life? And I wrote yes, so badly. And can others recognize God's love in your life? So they say people tell me all the time, like my friends and my support group, just how blessed and how lucky I am. And I go, I don't see that, you know. And that's it. That's all I wanted to touch on. Because I, I never see any progress or anything good. I, I, that's why I said I'm my own worst enemy. Thank you. The, the next time you feel the urge to call your sponsor, I'll save you a phone call. Go to the question, the, the exercise for step one, and do question number 14 the next time you feel like you need something to do. Did you want to talk? Yeah, well, just keep your hand over it. Stand up, yeah, you get above the, the level of the, the mic. Hi, everyone, and I'm I am afraid. Um, <laughs> uh, and number five, when it uh, talked about uh, describe what it would look like for you to better do God's will, um, 
I wrote actions uh, based on right thinking and um, consistent with uh, new behaviors. And um, uh, and if I'm I'm hearing what what you two are saying tonight today is that um, I I, li- I like that. The, the I don't know answers, um, not because they're the easier, softer way anymore, but because they make sense, you know. Um, and or they don't, <laughs> you know. Uh, that the what are your current difficulties? Um, if I'm hearing you correctly, I don't have any difficulties. Um, uh, they're imagined or they're a delusion, um, and. Uh, that that makes sense to me. Um, as I'm, that makes sense to me today. Um, I hope that makes sense to me an hour from now. You know, uh, but I know my know by my behavior. Um, how do you expect God to build with me? Um, I expect uh, to change or reprogram my thoughts, actions, and responses based on new thinking and knowledge. Um, and to be willing to follow through with that. Um, what do you think God will do with you? He'll love me. Um, and what does He want from me? He wants to me to be of service. He sees more for me. Um, I don't. And then, uh, does God have a plan for you? I don't know. Um, except it will be okay. Um, and that's that's comforting. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about um, talk about some frustration in their life, whether it's a relationship or um, usually relationship, family, or money. Um, and and somewhere along in that conversation or what they're talking about, they usually take just a little bit back um, somehow in that conversation, um, and uh, and that hurts. It hurt even hurts me um, to hear that um, because I know I do that. And uh, I don't know. I think that's just cutting myself short, you know. Um, so that's what I got. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, my name is uh, Dennis, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Dennis. And I'm sorry, but I'm gonna have to digress because I'm like on that wheel, you know. I'm uh, in the last section, you know. I. Uh, you know, it, uh, we made out this list of things we hadn't given up to. You know, I attend meetings in a section of Manhattan where God is yet to make an appearance, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and, be, and because of that, I'm under the delusion that I have a really good third step. You know, I, I really think that I got it going on, you know. And then I, and I wrote down here, I said, uh, what, what, have you been, what are you unwilling to give to God? And I put down career, sex, sponsorship, ego, pride, steps, and other people, you know. <laughs> You know, aside from that, I'm doing okay. You know, and uh, you know, and uh, and in the and in the section where it says, "What are you afraid of?" The only thing I put down was, "I'm afraid I might be wrong." You know, and you know, I mean, and I was putting myself in a place where you told me to put myself, where just in this moment, in this day, you know, I'm tired, I've got stuff going on, you know, and I'm letting things creep up on me. And, you know, I, I'm coming from a place where I can't afford to be wrong. 
You know, I feel that way. You know, I spent a lifetime being wrong. And, um, you know, we, 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 we like to say, you know, we have a choice. We can either be right or be happy, you know. And, uh, and that's all I want to say. I just want to say that. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. There's, there's a, an amazing thing that you were just talking about. You said you're wrong. Ask yourself the question, who's deciding whether you're right or whether you're wrong? You know, who, my, old, my first sponsor used to read, it wasn't my first, that's my second sponsor, used to say, who wrote that book? Used to drive me, now I want to strangle him, drag him across the desk. You know, but he always said that to me, who wrote that book? You know, who's deciding whether you're right or wrong? Where does that come from? Take a look at that. Next. Hi. Hi, my name is Kathy and I'm an alcoholic. Um, just in the, uh, the an- to answer some of the questions, a lot of them are the similar to what everybody else was sharing, but um, it says, what am I, exactly what am I offering? And I wrote everything I have and everything that I am. Um, what does it look like to offer myself to God? It me- to me, it looks like the surrender of my life. I wrote the, de- the dissolution uh, of the idea that I have anything to do with how my life progresses. Um, in the second one, though, that was the interesting one for me. It says, how do I expect God to build with me? I wrote, um, the constri- I was getting the image of the, the whole construction, the arch. And I wrote, the, my construction of my personal arch to freedom is just uh, one more brick in God's vision. Um, he's my architect. He has the plans. I just have the arch. So I don't know what it is, but you know, I just, I'm just one brick in all of it. And then what do I think God will do with me? Having the foggiest. Um, why was I separated from alcohol when others uh, aren't? Again, I haven't the foggiest idea why I was. Um, just his grace. you know. Obviously, he does have a plan for me, which goes down to the later one. What is his plan? I don't know that either. <laughs> but I believe I'm supposed to be here and to be available. Available to God's will, but available to anything else that's, that's put in, in front of me. And if I'm not clear, if I, my, my mind isn't open, if my heart's not open, then I can't be available. I'm to be here, I'm to be now. Um, what is my bondage? Um, right now, it's myself and my food. And what does it look like when I'm actively in bondage to myself? I'm restless, I'm irritable, and I'm discontented. What, and then describe what it would look like if I could better do God's will. I would be happy, joyous, and free. And that's that's as far as I got with that. I didn't get any of the other ones, but uh, the 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 whole construction arch um, image was was strong for me. Thanks. Thanks, Kathy. Got time for one more? Somebody with a, there's a hand there. Gentleman from Dallas, give him a hand. He came the longest, I think. Hey. I'm Rick. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Rick. There we go. Um, good questions, Dave. Uh, what are my current difficulties? Wow, that one will jump out, jump out at you. I'm a poor communicator in my marriage. I'm slothful. I procrastinate. I have a lot of debt. The IRS. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> wow, yeah, that one jumped out at me. Uh, why would I need power? That's a great question. Well, lack of power is my dilemma. I'm going to need power. How much power is available to me as much as I want? 
Uh, how much of God do I want? And what does it look like when I've received his power? Well, I will no longer have to worry about my difficulties. That's all I got. Thanks. Rick, thanks. Uh, I wanted to make a couple comments, and we're going to take a break, that are on page 62 uh, uh, that I, I think are so important to understand. Uh, you know, the, the question about am I always doing God's will, uh, the concept that I work with is there's only self-will and God's will, no free will. And the big book says that I need to be convinced that only God can remove whatever self-will has me blocked off from God. So in, in page 62, I think in two paragraphs, they, they just sum up this issue about me and self-will and the idea that there's absolutely nothing I can do on my power when I'm in this, if you will. You know, it, it talks again about the root of our trouble is that I'm selfish and self-centered. Um, the road of all of our troubles. And, you know, it describes what my life looks like as a result of that. I get driven. Uh, that's why you look up the word choice and look up the word driven, and you, you, that should bring about a shift in your consciousness and make you understand that when you're in self-will, you're not making choices. You're being driven. Sober. I don't care if you're 19 years sober or 20 or 50. If you're in self-will, you're not making choices. You're being driven. Uh, and you're not involved with what's driving you. That's the, therein lies the, the, the mix of that. Uh, and again, driven by what? My fears, my self-delusion, my self-seeking, self-pity. Of course, and it describes what happens when, when that's how I'm going through life, right? I step on the toes of my fellows, column one. They retaliate, column two. Um, sometimes they hurt me, column three. Seemingly without provocation. I didn't do anything. I don't know why he wants a divorce. Uh, but I invariably find at some time in the past, column four, I've made decisions based on self, column four, which later placed me in a position to be hurt, column three. So my troubles are of my own making. My troubles arise out of myself. You know, I tell you what the ego does. You know, you and I were talking. You kept presenting your troubles to me as though they were coming at you from the outside. And that isn't what our book says, that my troubles arise, perception. Uh, I don't know what the will of God is. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I don't. And we are an extreme example of self-will run riot, comma, though we do not think so. Delusion. See? And then the sentence that's seldom talked about in meetings. Above everything, I must be rid of the selfishness. I must, or it kills me. Now, I think that, I think we should probably talk about this a little more. <laughs> but we don't. Have you ever been to a meeting where those two sentences was a topic? Yeah. Those are about the, yeah, but this, you probably brought them up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Guilty. But, you know, what, what do you think the words above everything mean? Above everything. The number one most significant thing any one of us in this room could do above everything is to be willing to pursue a course of action to be rid of selfishness or it will kill us. And you don't have to, to drink to die. There's some of you sitting in this room that know what, it, what it's like to be dying sober. And it's because of your selfishness, this pain or hearing you talk about your husband. That's still about your selfishness. See, you follow? 
You follow me? There's a lot of ways you die. Uh, we've been dead man walking. We we all we all love that movie. You know, sober. I've been dead man walking, right? Because of my selfishness. Once again, I think I know better than God how it's supposed to play. I don't have a clue what the will of God is. I just don't. Why? Because I have this little limited mind, right? And the real danger of that is when that's going on, we're sober. Well, I can handle it. And you look, you walk up to someone and you say, don't you see that you are closer to a drink than you've ever been in your entire life? And they immediately go, what are you talking about? I'm 10 years sober. I can handle this. No. You're in self. You're not connected from God. And all I need to do is give you suddenly or a strange mental blank spot and you are drunk. It's that dangerous. You know, a couple of comments. We'll take a break because I, I, I wouldn't wish on anybody my experience with this. I almost committed suicide at 10 years. And between 8 and 10 years, looking back, I was in a silent rage internally. And I see that it was about self-will. My life sober hadn't been going the way I want it. And it began to manifest as incredible amounts of depression. Now, again, this is hindsight. I didn't, at five years, I did not write that out as a goal. But uh, that's exactly what happened. And, I, 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 and it wasn't on his triggers list either. Yeah. Uh, and I almost committed suicide and uh, wound up in uh, an insane asylum, which is where I needed to be, which is where self-will will put you. Um, and really, in that insane asylum, in 10 years in this program, I did a third step, and I knew, I knew, and I conceded to my innermost self from that time on. My life wasn't my business, and I just didn't care anymore. I just, who cares? I just, I quit. I gave up. Uh, I I would not wish that on anybody, that whole thing, a dark night of the soul at a level that was beyond belief. I didn't really understand this. When it says, I mean, you think of the implications of of this prayer about we're going to offer ourselves to God to build with us and do anything he wants. It's like, and I hate the use of gender, but just say God. Do anything with us that God wants to do, right? Um and, and, you know, it goes on and talks about there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. See, there is, you know, we've all got a lot of self-help books and we have good intentions and, you know, they last for most drunks about two days, two hours, or two weeks. Um, we just, because we don't have power to pull off our good intentions and talking about moral and philosophic, we can't live up to any of this stuff. And we can't reduce self-centeredness by wishing and trying our own power. Now I'm finally real clear on this decision why I have to have God's help. Because the very thing that's going to kill me is a part of me, a deep, deep part of me, and I can't do anything about it. If you think your ego is going to go commit suicide, you are wrong. <laughs> you follow me? So the process we take this through to get rid of self-will is steps four through nine. Four through nine, where you can truly, where you can truly live a life in which your life is no longer your business. Where you get to live life, but you're not involved with your life. And the joy that that can bring, uh, your capacity to love, to to experience anything and everything. Uh, you quit using words like, the gentleman used the word wrong. I don't use right and wrong and good and bad. The way it is is the way it is. Uh, I, I woke up one day to something. First of all, if I hadn't been wrong in periods of time in my life, how would I know what right looked like? I live in a world of relativity. So do you. You got to... <laughs> You're right. You see, if I hadn't had great pain, how would I know what joy looks like? Here's the kind of people we are. We just want the right side of relativity. <laughs> right? 
I want to be right all the time in great bursts of joy. That's it. With lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just not the way the deal's laid out. So, you know, again, this this is what we're really looking at when we're when we're trying to, to take a look at this third step and, and why do it. And, and then it describes this relationship about, I love the simplicity of this, but I missed this for a long time. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to quit playing God. You know, and you, we, that would be a great hour exercise for you, all of you right now to currently write out, how am I playing God, right? Uh, I heard it in you, and I heard it in you, and you, you know, you, how are you playing God in your life? Right now, here today, when currently what's going on with your life, how do you play God? And it goes on to say, here's the problem with it. It, us playing God, doesn't work because we're not God, right? And then it describes this decision and then that incredibly beautiful prayer. Um, and, and, you know, the power in that prayer, I mean, you're gonna, we're going to offer ourselves to God as we understand God, right? To build with us and do with us as thou wilt. And you just put a period behind it and say, whoa, well, wait a minute. Because all of you that talked about, well, I want a healthy relationship and I want to be, 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 that is not in that prayer. That's just not in there. And uh, the crazy part is, is when you let go of all that, what, that what, what the book says prior to the prayer is being all powerful, God will give you and I everything we need. It's a promise. Mm-hmm. Everything you need. And it, the strange thing is then, as you begin this process and a lot of work with the fourth and fifth step up through the ninth step, the part of you that wants things dies in the work of the steps, right? It die, that part of you dies, you see? I didn't get it for the longest time. In the sixth and seventh step, what really happens is, is the desire for what it is that the defect would take you to gets removed, see? So you begin to experience peace. But I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit of... Uh, I was 10 years sober before I really made this decision and followed through and became willing to die, call it die the death of self. But um, only God can remove our self-will. That which created our self-will is the only one that can, that can remove it. We, but the gift we've been given in AA is we got steps 4 through 9 and the disciplines of 10 and 11 to go through that. And it's clear and it's precise and it's specific. And what a great gift. So let's take a break. Let's make it, let's make it a short one. We'll come back in 10 minutes.